a speeding bullet. More powerful than a locomotive. Able to leap tall buildings at a single bound. It's a bird! It's a plane! It's Superman! It's Superman! Man of the Superman! Superman rocketed to Earth as an infant when the distant planet Krypton exploded. And who, disguised as Clark Kent, mild-mannered reporter for the Daily Planet, fights a never-ending battle for truth, justice, and freedom with superpowers far beyond those of ordinary mortals. It's Superman! 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 Hey everybody, welcome to episode 80 of the Man of Screen podcast. I am your host, Mike Zumo, and in this episode, we're going to move on to my coverage of season 2 of the New Adventures of Superman, looking at the first four episodes of the New Adventures of Superman shorts and the first two Superboy segments of season 2. Now, starting with season 2, the show had gone a little bit of a format change. The Superman Superboy shorts were still... You know, about six or seven minutes long. However, the entire thing was changed to, instead of just being Filmation's The New Adventures of Superman, it was now changed to the Superman Aquaman Hour of Adventure. And this was considered a separate show. However, it did retain the entire voice cast and trappings of The New Adventures of Superman. It aired from on CBS from 1967 to 1968. Premiering on September 9th, 1967, the 60-minute program included a series of six-minute adventures featuring various DC Comics superheroes. Each episode consisted of new segments from the existing series, The New Adventures of Superman, along with uh, An Adventure of Superboy, and The New Adventures featuring Aquaman and his sidekick Aqualad. I am not going to be covering the Aquaman or Aqualad segments, as I will also only be dealing with the Superman stuff. I will retain the format that I used in Season 1, where I will cover a Superman episode, a Superboy episode, and then another Superman episode, and that'll make up each segment of my podcast. Now, in addition to the Superman, Superboy, and Aquaman and Aqualad stuff, the series also featured a rotating series of guest star cartoons, which featured the Atom, the Flash, and Kid Flash, the Green Lantern, Hawkman, and stuff like that. There was also... Three Justice League of America episodes, which included the Atom, Flash, Green Lantern, Hawkman, and Superman. Those I will cover at some point during my coverage of Season 2. I think I might hold them off to the end and just make the final episode of my Season 2 coverage uh, an extra long episode just to uh, get those three uh, Justice League shorts in. They're not really long enough to, to warrant an entire episode, so... I'm going to be covering that. This series marked the animated debut of nearly all of its featured characters and teams, with the exception mainly being the Superman and his supporting cast, which had previously been featured in the 1940s Fleischer shorts, and and then again in Season 1 of uh, The Adventures of Superman and Superboy. Now, in 1968, this show was again repackaged in reruns as Aquaman, a 30-minute version without the Superman and Superboy segments, but it included the uh, guest star shorts, like I mentioned, three of which had included Superman. So, that's really all I've got for my introduction to Season 2. Like I said, even though the show changed in its construction when it was aired, I am not going to change the way I cover Season 2. I'm probably going to change up the format a little bit when I cover Season 3, but I will talk about that more when I get to Season 3. Alright, so I am going to skip feedback for this week. I will get back to that starting with next week's episode. So I'm going to take a quick break now, play a podcast promo, and then I'm going to come back with the beginning of Season 2 of The New Adventures of Superman and Superboy. 
Andy, I have an amazing idea. Let's do a podcast. We've been talking about doing this for years. That sounds great. So, what should we talk about? Something no one else is talking about. Batman. (sighs) Mike, there are hundreds of Batman shows out there. You used to do one. True. Well, maybe we could do an index show. Are you insane? We both already host those. True again. Okay, maybe we could talk about Batman stories no one else does. Like the Jerry Conway run. Ooh, ooh, yeah, yeah, we could discuss his entire run and then go into the Doug Mensch run. But we won't be tied down to that. We need to be free to talk about other Batman stories from that era as well. And we could call it The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. Great! The Overlooked Dark Knight, the non-index index show. New episodes drop on the 14th and 28th of every month. The show and the website, www.overlookeddarknight.com, launch in May of 2017 from the Fortress of Bailitude Podcasting Network. All right, welcome back, folks. The original air date for all of these episodes in this segment was September 9th, 1967, and I'm going to start with Ape Strikes Again, and this was written by Oscar Bensall, and all of our synopses were brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. Professor Noble has invented a machine he calls the Trouble Televisor that will alert its operator of any crimes being committed and signal Superman. Lex Luthor, the Warlock, and Brainiac team together once more in an attempt to destroy the machine, but Superman stands in their way. I mean, first and foremost, I want to say that I always enjoy episodes that involve Superman and multiple villains, and Ape, the allied perpetrators of evil, you know, they're a a fun little team that we're going to see on and off throughout the course of this series. So we're going to start out with Professor Noble on top of a mountain with a bunch of tunnels. And he just happens to have his headquarters on top of uh, Ape Headquarters. I'm not sure if that's a coincidence. Uh, I'm not sure which came first, uh, Professor Noble or Ape. But what you need to know is that Professor Noble and his troubled televisor are above Ape Headquarters. And we're going to have a little bit of a roster change this time around. Instead, uh, Luthor and Warlock remain, but Brainiac has joined the team. We uh, no longer have the Toy Man involved here. The Professor's Trouble Televisor is a clever device. It's designed to spot trouble and crime before it happens. Ah, that thing could put us evildoers out of business. It must be destroyed. Right. Now we all know what we must do. So let's go. And uh, they want to uh, destroy the Trouble Televisor, which can warn Professor Noble of uh, any danger that's going on, and it can signal Superman. So apparently, uh, this is a handy device for anybody who considers themselves an ally of Superman, that they can just kind of contact him whenever this thing detects trouble. I'm not necessarily sure how it detects trouble, but, you know, it's a Silver Age. We're rolling with it. So Professor Noble is showing Perry White the invention, and it spots Brainiac just kind of hanging out on the ledge, and uh, Superman is alerted. And obviously, we don't it doesn't catch Superman. It finds Clark at his desk at the Daily Planet, as it often does. And he seems to recognize the sound of the device when it signals him. So I can only wonder if perhaps Superman knows about this device. And he doesn't mind uh, Professor Noble just kind of contacting him at any opportunity. And uh, Brainiac comes into the building and he's doing what he does best. He's shrinking stuff. Superman comes in to uh, the office or to the lab where Professor uh, Noble and Perry are hanging out. 
He comes in, Brainiac disappears, and Superman restores the Professor and Perry to their normal size. So Superman leaves, and then guess what happens? The machine goes off again. And now we got the Warlock hanging out on top of a utility pole. Apparently his wand has been restored with its new magic ruby. Now, here's something I've noticed. I noticed this in the previous Ape episode, but I don't know if I mentioned it or not. Have you noticed these guys never work together? Apparently their idea of, of teamwork is to do things separately. It never dawned on anybody to work in contingent with each other. They just kind of do their thing separately and take turns uh, harassing Superman. So the Warlock is going to take his at-bat here, and he's going to send the train flying toward the Professor's lab. But Superman cuts it off and kind of puts it back down onto the track. And it's amazing how the train just flies up as if it is still on the ground. Completely straight. It doesn't sag or anything. So must be the magic of the uh, Warlock's room that the train, when it's no longer attached to the tracks, can just kind of fly in a straight line. So Superman goes after the the Warlock, and we get some more disappearing. So now Brainiac and Warlock have a new plan. They're going to create a diversion as Luthor blows up the Professor's lab. Superman makes it impossible to get near the invention. Okay, so we destroy the generator that powers the invention. Uh, we'll keep Superman busy while you blow up the generator shack. Good. We'll meet later in Brainiac's Flying Saucer. I wonder which one will show up on the Trouble Televisor first. Can it recognize that Luthor blowing up the lab is the more immediate danger? Does it recognize that Brainiac and Warlock are just going to stage a diversion? I'm not sure. I mean, how sentient is this machine? How discerning is it? What does it know? These are all questions that we will not get answers to. And I personally do not have any answers to give. And now, here's Lois Lane in her car. She's shown up at the lab for no apparent reason other than the demands of the plot. And Lois is going to do some kind of dance on the ledge. And, you know, kind of there she goes off the side. And then we get Luthor down at the generator. He's looking all kinds of sneaky as he kind of goes to the bottom of the basement and is looking to blow something up. So Warlock's diversion is to uh, turn the dragon rock into a dragon. Makes sense. You've got a rock called Dragon Rock. Why wouldn't you turn it into a dragon? So... Superman shatters the rock dragon and saves Lois, whom he is about to send into the lab when he hears the bomb. Now, here is a nice little animation of Superman. While he's far away, he seems to hold the bomb away from his chest and it explodes. Now, we don't get a very close-up animation of this, as I'm imagining that the animators are trying to avoid drawing the details of the actual bomb. But we get a flash of yellow overtaking the screen, and the next thing we know, the bomb is a bit of shrapnel in Superman's hand. So, not a bad effect. And to hear uh, Superman's S is red and yellow on the cape. So apparently you still have a little bit of coloring error. It's not yet the solid yellow as we've come to expect it. It is red and yellow, more like what it was on the George Reeves and even the Kirk Allen cape. So Superman is going to take off after Brainiac's flying saucer and uh, Brainiac has raised his shields with the members of Ape aboard. Now apparently somehow Superman is able to push the ship by its shields. It's kind of a weird effect because you wouldn't think the shield is something that's actually solid. But Superman can only touch the shield. He can't reach through the shield and just act upon the ship but he can push it by the shield superman being able to push the ship by the shield seems to defeat the purpose of having a shield especially when you consider the fact that the shield cannot stand up to superman's heat vision so basically superman's method here is to smoke them out of the ship brainiac however remains invisible and we see a few impacts on superman's chin before the man of steel just happens to punch the right spot and literally knocks brainiac to pieces and he kind of falls out at superman's feet in a heap now for all your parents out there this is why it's dangerous to say that you love your children to pieces. You know, you don't want something like this happening. You don't want the pieces of your children kind of laying at your feet. Now, apparently, everybody has heard of Lois's adventure, and, of course, Clark believes it because he was there. Oh, Clark, have you heard about the scary experience I had today? I... Uh... Of course I heard, Lois. Hasn't everyone? Oh, 
I suppose you don't believe I really did see a dragon fly. Sure I believe it. I do believe it. So, that's kind of that. You know, this ape episode was not as good as the previous one. Like I mentioned before, I'd like to see more of a triple threat than one threat at a time, but... You know, so far, season two is picking up right where season one left off. You know, your basic six, seven-minute shorts. Like I mentioned before, if these were comics, they'd probably be eight to ten-page stories. You know, not getting anything too intricate. So, you know, it's good, not great. Forgettable, largely, but let's move on. So the Superboy episode, The Beast with Two Faces. This was written by Oscar Bensal. A giant dragon-like creature crashes across the countryside and then suddenly becomes passive. Superboy and Crypto discover... It is the pet of an alien being who has a remote control that controls the beast. And you must be his master. Yes. Please accept my apologies. My pet will trouble you no more. Really? What makes you so sure? This instrument controls the beast, keeping it placid. You see, when my spaceship crash landed, this instrument was damaged, but I have repaired it. Good. And we will depart as soon as I can generate enough thrust power. I see. Then my job's finished here. Crypto, let's go see if there's any more damage. Up, up, and away! Okay, now. Amanda Criminals overhears this conversation and kidnaps the alien, controlling his pet to enable them to commit crimes. Alright, so here we are in Central America with uh, some kind of beast rampaging across the jungle. It's a very large purple creature with a lizard-like tongue. Before, and before we know it, Superboy and Crypto are on the case. And this creature is wreaking all kinds of havoc. And the cape... The S on the cape, like in the Superman episode before, is colored red and yellow. And I wonder if this is going to be something that's going to stick going forward. Now, Crypto and Superboy are fighting the dragon, and now, for some reason, is now smiling at them and playing with Crypto. And that just got weird. Now, here we have uh, three skulking figures who look menacing. And here's a green alien that's holding up some kind of device. It looks like a remote control, but whatever it is, it seems to be controlling the dragon. Now, the alien will apologize to Superboy for the damage his pet has done. I don't know exactly why he decided to bring his pet to Earth. You know, perhaps he should walk his dragon on his own planet. But we quickly get the explanation that he crashed. Of course he did. All these aliens just kind of seem to crash on Earth. But, however, the alien needs uh, power to for his spaceship, and I'm kind of wondering why Superboy couldn't have just thrust him into space. We see him do that often enough as Superman. So, while well, Superboy is trying to help... Now the alien has been abducted by our criminals, and off they go. Now, now the spaceship is working. Superboy and Crypto will notice a ship flying off, and you know, they're going to kind of go home. They figure, you know what? The alien's got its ship going, and he's off to go home. And why should Superboy really think any differently? The alien said that he was going to go home as soon as his ship was repaired, and you know he has no reason to believe that anything other than that happened. He didn't see the three skulking figures kind of hanging around outside of the ship. You know, maybe he should have. Maybe he should have... Uh, Heard their heartbeats or something, but you know what? He didn't notice, so we're certainly not going to fault Superboy in this case. But now the alien is in Metropolis, and we get a decent shirt rip from Superboy. Again, we're getting better shirt rips in the Superboy segments than we're getting in the Superman ones. And uh, Superboy is going to go to his future home, which is kind of interesting. This was still the time when Smallville was on the outskirts of Metropolis. It won't be until 1978 and uh, Superman the movie that Smallville will be firmly planted in Kansas. And even then, in the comics, I'm not sure it's firmly planted in, in Kansas until... John Byrne puts it there in the post-crisis reboot. So this creature is wreaking all kinds of havoc, and now he's down in the, in the subway going after the train, and basically Superboy uh, takes it out of the tunnel, basically through the roof of the tunnel and onto the street. You know, causes some uh, collateral damage in the process. So apparently our alien abductors are... And when I say alien abductors, I basically mean abductors of the alien 
the aliens are not abducting anybody, but humans have abducted the alien, which sounds ridiculous when you actually say it out loud. But they're using the dragon as a distraction, and what a distraction it is. If I were to rob a bank, and I'm not going to say that I would, but I would definitely seek out a giant dragon to use as a diversion. So Superboy asks Crypto to watch the beast while he ties it up in a steel cable. And this gives Superboy and Crypto the chance to catch the crooks. And it's amazing that these bank robbers know how to operate an alien ship. Because the tied up alien isn't doing anything. He's just sitting there tied up. He's not actually driving the ship in any fashion. These dumb criminals look like they're doing all the driving. I don't know where they got their alien ship driver's license, but, you know, they're moving that ship pretty good. They're not, at least they're not crashing into anything. So Crypto basically uses the alien ship as a toy and kind of flips it over and causes the guys inside to bounce up and down since uh, the alien is tied up. <laughs> Apparently he's unaffected, but while the... Uh, Human criminals are bouncing from the top to the bottom. I would have found it hysterical if you just saw the alien in the chair bouncing along with them. His chair must be firmly bolted to the floor because while uh, our three crooks are bouncing up and down, he's not going anywhere. So, they, But they must have had some nasty concussions after all that. And so they uh, capture the crooks and the beast goes home and Crypto is sad because after all was said and done, he had a little playmate in this creature and... I guess that's one beast we won't miss around here, eh, Crypto? You trying to tell me you'll miss him? Okay, old buddy. Maybe we'll go visit him someday. Now, let's go home. Up, up, and away! Superboy is not going to miss the creature and all the trouble it caused, but Crypto will. And Superboy promises that maybe they will visit him. I guess Crypto liked playing with the space creature. I'm beginning to find as we go that the only thing that really separates these Superboy episodes from the Superman ones is the presence of Crypto. He really takes front and center in these episodes as as it's basically a story of uh, a boy and his dog. And I'm with Dave. You know, I'm really enjoying the Superboy segments more than I am the Superman ones. Maybe it's because we've seen so much Superman over the course of the first 80 episodes of this podcast, but it's refreshing to get to see something a little bit different with Superboy. You know, Superboy can make mistakes and uh, foul up in his episodes more than we're than he will as Superman, so it's really cool to see the learning curve. And it's really interesting to see Superboy in Metropolis years before he'll become Superman. Next, we're going to go back to Superman with The Lethal Lightning Bug. And this was written by Oscar Bensal. A freak lightning storm electrifies a swamp river, creating a huge lightning bug that threatens to destroy a nearby space launch. Superman investigates and learns that the bug returns to the swamp to re-energize itself before each attack. I wonder why it's dipping its tail in the water. Quick, stop, growing again. So, my flashy friend... That's how you recharge your batteries. But the mystery is, how do you draw electricity from this swap? Now, let's see. With my X-ray vision, I find... Hmm. Water, earth, iron ore. That's it. Nature has created a huge storage battery. A giant condenser in this spot. First, I need a long strip of metal. Ah, the abandoned railroad tracks. That should do it. Now then, I drive this steel through the water and into the iron ore. And I'll complete an electrical circuit, I hope. Here goes. Contact. Pretty spectacular, but it did the trick. 
All the electricity is burned off. And now the tiny lightning bug will remain tiny forever. Up, up, and away! So we start with the lightning bug in the central Florida swamp. How exciting. And then it starts to rain. Again, another major central Florida surprise. I was in Disney World uh, last summer, late mid-July of 2017, and oh boy did we get caught in the rain. I believe I told that story on a previous uh, Man of Screen Extra, episode 7, I want to say. So, if you want to hear about my trip to Disney World last summer, go check that out. So, apparently this storm has created a giant lightning bug, because, you know, why not? Why wouldn't a storm create a giant lightning bug? So, Clark is at Cape Canaveral, because he just happens to be in the neighborhood when bad stuff goes down. The countdown has begun, Mr. Kent. The astronauts are in the capsule. Well, no problems, I hope. Nothing foreseeable. Good, and I'll... Colonel Hardy here. Colonel Hardy, radar room reports an unidentified flying object in the area. Keep tracking it. I'll be right there. Uh-oh. Yes? This is control. Weather blimp reports flashing light in the sky, moving eastward across the base. Stay with the blimp. Sounds like trouble. Sorry, Kent. I'll talk to you later. Certainly, Colonel. Unidentified flying object, eh? You know, I'm still waiting for these shorts to produce a good shirt rip, but nothing as of yet. The uh, shirt is still hanging over Superman's sleeve when he changes. So the lightning bug sets the blimp on fire, and I'm not sure this creature is aware of what it's doing, but, but it's good to see Superman being gentle with those that he's rescuing as he grabs the basket from the blimp and throws it down and then chases it. Hopefully nobody got airsick during the course of all that. Now, the, uh, the military wants to uh, postpone the launch. What I can't understand is how could anything so large disappear so suddenly? Like I said, Colonel, after it fired that bolt of lightning, it vanished. Sure is strange. Yes. I think I'd better postpone the space launch until we clear this up. No, Colonel. You continue your countdown. I promise you no harm will come to your astronauts. Well, Superman, on your say-so. Good. But Superman wants them to go ahead, and of course, because Superman says so, they will. You know, that's another uh, staple of old uh, comics. Just because Superman wants people to do something, they'll do it just on his word. You don't really see that in the comics very much anymore, or even the movies for that matter. Now people seem to kind of annoyingly so question Superman at every turn. Back then in the 50s and the 60s, if Superman suggested you do something, you did it. Apparently, after a while, the lightning bug shrinks to normal, but after dipping its tail in the electrified water, it mutates again. I wonder if that's kind of the uh, creature's way of eating. So, it doesn't seem to like the rocket base, though, and I wonder if something is drawing it there. Maybe the energy from the ship, and it zaps Superman and gives him a headache, so... But while it's attacking, we see that it's shrinking, so... Apparently, as it expels its electricity, it shrinks back to normal size. So, Superman, ever observant and intelligent, he watches the lightning bug shrink, and then he follows it. He doesn't do anything to it he just kind of follows it and watches uh it recharge itself in the swamp so he figures this is where that it's getting its energy from superman the uh detects some iron in the water which somehow electrified the swamp and uh this is what gives the lightning bug its sustenance and like i said it's nice to see superman using his brains here and he'll drive a steel railroad track and you know this is where the animation really comes in handy because if, if you watch the episode and you paid attention to the very beginning where they're showing the uh the swamp before the rainstorm, there was some beat-up railroad track in the jungle, so kind of check off his railroad track. They showed the railroad track, and it's going to come into handy here. And he drives the steel railroad track into the iron ore to make a circuit, and he electrifies himself, which just burns all the electricity out of the lake. And now the lightning bug can return to its regular life. 
These are the things Superman worries about. He's not just going to take the lightning bug and uh, squeeze it into his hand, and that really wouldn't have solved anything anyway, and he is keeping other lightning bugs from suffering the same uh, fate. Not that the lightning bug was suffering, but I'm sure that if a bunch of lightning bugs started, giant ones, for that matter, started flying around, that people in Florida would kind of flip a little bit. So Clark shows his story to Perry. So the giant bug actually fired lightning bolts, eh? Phew. Must have been a frightening experience for you, Clark. Well, I'll tell you, Perry, I, uh, I did find it rather shocking. He says he found the whole thing shocking. At least Clark said that's what Clark said, and I'll bet he did. After getting zapped the way he did. So, that was a good one, you know. I'm always a fan of Superman figuring things out and uh, using the old gray matter to solve his problems. It's not all about using fists to solve the problem. It's about thinking and figuring out the best way to attack a problem and not just punching your way out of it. Sure, Superman could have swatted the bug with his hand, but what would have that accomplished? Like I said, it just another lightning bug would have dipped its tail into the, into the electrified water. So, he solved that. And it's nice to see that Superman is intelligent. Because too many times nowadays, Superman is, especially when compared to Batman, he's shown as a dumb brute. And I really enjoy seeing Superman think his way out of a problem. So right now, I think I'm going to take a podcast promo break. And then I'll come back with The Prankster, the Superboy episode, The Gorilla Gang, and the Superman episode, The Saboteurs. Hang around, folks. Hey, everybody. I'm Paul Spataro. I don't know if you know me, but I'm a regular on Back to the Bins, along with my friends, Dr. Bill Robinson. Hello. And Mr. Scott Gardner. Hey, how's it going? Andy's been asking us for a promo for the show for the longest time, and Bill has been writing it for the longest time. Bill, you got that promo written yet? Uh... Okay, so, anyway, what we do is we review three comic books... We try to do it every week. Usually it's a Marvel, a DC, and a Captain Canuck book for Scott. So, tune in every week to Back to the Bins to listen to our show. You can find us at twotruefreaks.com. All right, welcome back, folks. All of the episodes in this segment were broadcast originally on September 16th, 1967. And we're going to start with the Superman episode, The Prankster, and it's written by Oscar Bensal. And all of our synopses are brought to you by supermanhomepage.com, your number one source for Superman information on the web. A pram is pushed into oncoming traffic with only a doll within the pram. What? It's just a doll. Yes, I saw that. What a mean, cruel joke. I'd like to dig up the worm who thinks this is a funny prank. (laughs) Oh boy, what fun. I even fooled Superman. A money safe is dropped on Clark Kent as he's about to enter the Daily Planet. It's made out of paper. Clark, I forgot our lunch date. Sorry, Lois, but I... Hey, look out above! Clark, I've always suspected it. You really are Superman. It's just paper. Ha ha. Clark, is this someone's idea of a joke? What an experience. Really shook me up. Mind if I take a rain check on that lunch? Of course, Clark. See you later. Clark Kent changes into Superman and berates the little fellow behind the pranks. All right, Mr. Prankster, let's go. Superman, 
Have I been having fun? We'll see how funny you think it is when you're in jail. In jail? Me? For what? For disorderly conduct, which is a misdemeanor, that's what. Oh, yeah? Can you prove it was me? Have you got witnesses, legal evidence of any kind? Well, no. I haven't. <laughs> then bye-bye, super poop. I'm on my way to the trick shop, because, man, I'm really hot today. Hmm. He's hot, eh? Guess I'll just have to cool him off. So letting him go, Superman sets about playing his own pranks on the prankster, irritating him so much that he frustratingly admits to committing the prankish crimes in front of Superman. Still can't take a joke, eh? What's funny? You call that a sense of humor? I admit it's not dry humor, but it's a great deal funnier than your jokes. Is that so? Funnier than pushing the baby carriage down the hill and dropping that pony safe? You did those things? You know it. Well, you just did another funny thing. Like what? You just confessed. This is a microphone. And this is a tape recorder. Oh, that's a dirty trick! You ought to know. You're the expert in dirty tricks. Let's go. All right. So this episode is very interesting. And it's a lot of fun, too. Sometimes you see, you know, a character like Mixius Pitalig or the prankster, and you just, your eyes start to roll a little bit. But... I really enjoyed this one, as, you know, the prankster is just kind of out pranking people, basically, and, uh, you know, he's not really hurting anybody, you know, just kind of annoying everybody. I mean, you know, he's not really doing much more, and as Superman will comment, doing much more than some disorderly conduct stuff, but boy, is he frustrating, and he really matches with the Superman well, as we're going to see. And this episode starts off kind of going right for the throat, with a green baby carriage being pushed into traffic down a steep hill. And then to the path of incoming traffic, and you know, the first thing you're thinking of in a children's cartoon is who is endangering a baby by pushing a stroller down the down a hill. And the car swerves out of the way, and this is all very dramatic as we see the crowd looking on with wide eyes and horrified faces. You know, but Clark is there, and in a nice shot, Superman stops the car with one hand and the carriage with the other, and hits a doll with a note that says, ha ha. And both Superman and uh, this woman that found and faked the doll in the carriage are both appropriately horrified the woman looks like lois but it's not her and then here we have this little guy uh you know looking over a ledge on a roof and he's quite pleased with himself he doesn't look much like the prankster we're used to from the comics at the time but he normally wears a green suit and this guy's just kind of wearing uh, some some slacks and he doesn't have the typical mustache that we're used to seeing from the prankster now here is uh, lois and clark meeting for a lunch date what appears to be a safe falls off the building and just kind of crumbles when it hits Clark. And, you know, that immediately uh, makes Lois suspect that Clark is Superman, but we find out that the safe is made out of paper. Another prank. I wonder what Clark would have done if the safe was actually made out of metal, since uh, metal would have uh, done just the same thing when it bounced off Clark's vulnerable body. That would have been interesting. So Clark feigns injury and uh, takes some time off. And we know this just gets him to change into Superman. And at first he calls the prankster a joker. That's rather amusing, you know, Superman calling anybody a Joker other than the actual Joker who was a Batman villain from almost day one. And then he settles on Prankster. And apparently Superman is going to send the Prankster to jail for disorderly conduct. But, you know, when you look at the Prankster compared to Superman, he looks hilariously short. I mean, it only looks like he comes up a little bit higher than Superman's belt buckle. But he's challenging the Man of Steel's legal standing, and he wins. I mean, yes, for now, Superman cannot prove that the prankster did it. So for now, the prankster beats Superman. You know, even Superman needs proof. He needs to 
if he doesn't see the prankster commit the crime, he has to get him to admit it. And, you know, before I worked at a newspaper, I worked, when I was in college, uh, during the summer, I'd work at the local outlet mall as a security guard. Not mall security, but uh, I worked for an outside security company that would put a, a guard in uh, various stores. And one of the things that I was taught was, if I see somebody lift something, I can't let them out of my sight at all because... If I look away for a second, well, there's that second in which they could have put something back. And if I stop somebody and I'm wrong, that could bring on a lawsuit. So in that job, I couldn't stop anybody unless I was absolutely sure. So, but I did, you know, stop a handful of people. So I guess I uh, never got sued. So I guess I did my job well, at least for the few years that I did it. I hated that job because it was long hours and just kind of slot of standing around. So anyway, back to the show. Next, we see our prankster on a moped and he's going to... The trick shop. I can only wonder if this was a real thing in the 60s, if there were stores actually dedicated to practical jokes. I'm going to guess no, but you never know, I guess. Now here is Superman doing his best wily Coyote to the prankster's Roadrunner, and it's hilariously funny watching Superman do all of this stuff. He paints a landscape on a canvas to make the prankster think it's a road, and he says that would fool even him. Yeah, okay. But he doesn't do anything about the uh, roll at the top of the tree, you know, where he rolled the canvas down. That's just going to hang there, so that's his way to hang the canvas. I don't know how anybody would fall for such a thing, but you know what? In animation, you can get away with just about anything. So Superman's watching with a smile on his face as the prankster drives through the canvas and into the water. <laughs> Are you still hot, prankster? Superman, you did this. You, you. Temper, temper. Like most practical jokers, you can dish it out, but you can't take it. <laughs> I can't even. You'll see. And now Superman will... Follow the prankster to the trick shop, where the prankster buys a fire hydrant mounted with freak rockets. And now, while the prankster is in the trick shop, Superman picks up the entire store and moves it with them in it. How do the two men, the shop owner and the prankster, not notice that Superman picked up the building and moved it? You would think they'd feel something. But nope, they don't. And I'm going to be honest here. I'm not necessarily sure Superman is in the right. I mean, what he's doing could possibly be construed as harassment. But nobody's going to charge Superman with such a thing. I also don't think the prankster should be telling the shop owner what he's going to do. That's probably something that could come back and haunt them later. But the prankster walks out the door of the newly relocated trick shop and falls in the water. And while they argue over Superman's sense of humor, when Superman challenges the prankster's jokes, you know, attacking the criminal's vanity, which Superman tricks the prankster into confessing his crimes. You know, apparently he was so insulted that the idea that Superman's jokes were better that the prankster admitted to his jokes from earlier in the episode. So, nice work by Superman. Nothing funny about what Superman's been doing this entire episode, but it gets the job done. And... What cruel tricks. I think this prankster must be a mean, dried-up old man. Don't you agree, Clark? Oh, he's mean, all right. But I don't think he's dried up. Yet. You know, what another uh, drawl ending. You know, these puns can be exhausting sometimes. But you know what? That was fun. You know, what's nice about these comedy episodes is that Superman has to use his superpowers in clever ways to do his job. Even though he had to do some very un-Superman-like things to get the job done here. That was a lot of fun. Like, you know, you have to, comedy has to be smart because, like I mentioned before with the previous episode, you can't punch your way out of this. He has to outsmart his enemy and... Superman does it well here, even if he takes some questionable actions. All right, so. 
Superboy, the Gorilla Gang, and this is written by Oscar Bensall. Superboy and Crypto find the Gorilla Gang of gangsters have robbed a bank. Later, on a school trip, Clark and Lana Lang encounter the gangsters in a cave, where Clark secretly uses his powers to cause havoc for the criminals. Gentlemen, please, let me help solve your problem. Since you obviously don't trust each other, let me put your loot into that small chamber. Where everyone can watch. Oh, okay. Go ahead, kid. Now to stir things up around here, Superboy style. Okay, so here we have Superboy and Crypto flying over Smallville when they hear a burglar alarm. Superboy's X-ray vision finds the bank guards tied up, and they are rescued by the boy and the dog. And Crypto finds a gorilla mask, and Superboy recognizes it as the gorilla gang. Bank robbers! Rubber masks! Caught me by surprise! They got all the cash! Clean the jewels out of the safety deposit boxes! The Gorilla Gang, Ape Hansen's mom. Here come the police. They'll take over now, Crypto. Let's go! So apparently this is something he's familiar with. Now here are the Kents. Pa seems a bit younger than he used to be in season one. He no longer has the gray hair, and he basically looks like an older version of the Clark model from the Superman cartoon, so... It'll be interesting to, interesting to see what Pa Kent looks uh, like later, whether he continues to look like this or if he's back to his uh, more uh, plumper and grayer figure. So here is now Clark on a geology trip where he finds a diamond ring. And here's Lana coming up to Clark trying to stick with him and they find a cave. Clark, why'd you wander off? I thought, uh, well, uh, this gully showed some interesting possibilities. Oh, I'll help you look. Clark, look, a cave. Holy smoke. Uh, look, Lana, you go back and join the group while I have a look in there. Forget it, Clark. I'm going with you. Lana's excited about all the stuff they find, and somehow she deduces that it's the hideout, hideout of the local gorilla gang that's been robbing the banks. <gasps> Jules! I bet it's the hideout of the gang that robbed the bank this morning. I heard it on the radio. Grab them! Good heavens! Clark! Let her go. Keep me, but let her go. What do we do, Abe? They see too much. Can't let them go. I'm not sure how she makes that assumption right off the bat, but there it is. You know, not every cave you find loaded with money and jewels is necessarily from the robbery that happened this morning, but, you know, sometimes stuff hangs around in places for a few days, but she's going to turn out to be right that this is the headquarters of the Gorilla Gang, and the crooks catch them, and they can't let Clark and Lana go. And I like Clark's snide comment to Lana after she asked for Superboy, and Clark points out that he wished she went back when he told her to. Lana misreads this as Clark being cowardly, but what we know is because he needs to get Superboy into action, and he's in quite the predicament here, and he needs to change, but he can't with Lana right there. Now, there's one criminal. This guy looks like a gorilla, even without his mask on, but, you know, Clark is trying to find uh, a way to get them out of there, and again... Lana chides him about how he thinks he's Superboy. Is that how she treats anyone who wants to do something other than complain about the situation she's in? Nope. Clark wants to do something about it. He must think he's Superboy because in this uh, 
In reality of hers, nobody can do anything. So Clark will freeze some water with a pickaxe, and Clark has flooded the place and then smokes the place out with some heat vision, which is going to give Lana an opportunity to uh, talk tough to the crooks. And now Clark's solution here is hilarious, as he literally lights up the jewels in one of the guys' back pocket. Good thing he didn't eat Ma Kent's three bean chili before coming here, otherwise they'd really been they'd really be in an, in an explosive situation. So Clark is going to help these guys with their problem. He basically puts the loot in a small chamber and then creates a cave in and gets himself stuck. And that flushes out the gang, and the head criminal will willingly go to prison anything to get away from that monster kid, quote unquote. And he's referring to Clark. And Lana is quite impressed that Clark did a wonderful job. He was even greater than Superboy. And this earns us a wink from the disguised Boy of Steel. Now that was a good one. I always enjoy stories where Clark can't change into Superman or Superboy for whatever reason. And he has to use his powers on the sly. And that can lead to a bunch of fun stories. You know, two that are right off the bat. There is a Superboy episode from the late 80s, early 90s with that premise. Superboy. And where a whole bunch of them are being held hostage and he has to find a way to use his powers on the sly. And Lois and Clark episode uh, Fly Hard from season one also operates under a similar premise. You don't always get to see him sneak around, but when he has to has to and uses his brains, he shows he's more than what people think Superman is. You know, a lot of people, I mentioned before, a lot of people think Superman's a dumb brute. I wholeheartedly disagree with, with that assessment. So that was good. I enjoyed that. And now we're going to move right on to the Superman segment, The Saboteurs. And this is written by Oscar Bensall. As Clark Kent is driving down a country road, he witnesses an explosion which wrecks a nearby railroad bridge. Changing into Superman, he saves and repairs the bridge, allowing a train to safely pass over. Later, he and Lois are captured aboard a government ship carrying atomic waste. It seems a group of villains are set on dumping the atomic waste into Metropolis Harbor, allowing them to loot the city once it's vacated. Superman, however, has other plans for them and foils their operation. Alright, so, this is another good one, and I'm going to see, just like in the Superboy segment, where Clark is going to have to uh, be sneaky about how he changes into Superman, because he's going to find himself kind of locked up with Lois. But we start off with Clark driving home from an assignment, and he is taking the scenic route, and he gets more than he bargained for as a bridge explodes. Here comes a train, and a change into Superman, and we're still getting the dress shirt on the shoulder, which I wish they'd do something different. But this is a nice rescue, as Superman takes the bent rails from the bridge, holds them together long enough... For the train to pass over the bridge without falling into the river. Very nicely animated there. You know, that shot reminds me of the shot we're going to see in 1978 when uh, Superman saves the train during the earthquake sequence. So, then Superman astutely states, this was no accident. Yeah, explosions on a quiet night often are not. So here is Lois complaining that Clark Kent gets all the stories, and uh, I don't know, maybe he worked harder than Lois. Superman Saves Train by Clark Kent. Why is it all these great stories fall into his lap, not mine? Mr. Kent just called to say he found out that train was carrying a top-secret shipment to be delivered to the SS Redfish. SS Redfish? It's in Metropolis Harbor right now. I see. You know, Lois seems to uh, have complaining down to a science, but you very rarely see her doing any actual work in these shows. Then Jimmy spills the beans about where Clark is going, and you get the feeling just just by watching that Lois wants to horn in on the action here, and she does. And Clark finds that the train was carrying atomic waste, and uh, Lois shows up. Lois! Oh! Clark, you scared me. Sorry, but I wish you hadn't screamed. Why? <laughs> That's why. Come on, Flaky. We'll take him to the chief. Lois screams, and they're netted. So here are Lois and Clark with their hands up being threatened, and the uh, criminals uh, basically tell them that they're going to, you know, irradiate the harbor. Chief. 
We found these two near the cases in the cargo hold. They're reporters. Is that so? Well, you stumble across a great story. Too bad you'll never be able to print it. Just what is going on here? I'll tell you. Tonight, these lead cases full of atomic waste are going to be dropped overboard right here in this harbor. Good grief. What harm will that do? Radiation won't go through lead? Right. But this syringe contains acid, which will be injected into those cases. By the time a helicopter carries us clear of the danger area, the acid will have eaten huge holes in those cases, releasing the atomic waste. It will contaminate the harbor, the entire city. The people will flee from Metropolis. And you can steal and pillage at will. Exactly. A foolproof plan. You thought blowing up that bridge was a foolproof plan. Nah, Superman just happened to be in the area. But he won't show up here. Maybe he will, if he gets the chance. Now, in a few minutes, the ship will be reeking with radioactivity. And so will you. Tie them up. And the uh, nuclear uh, waste will chase people from the city and allow them to rob it blind. So this connects the bridge to the plot, as the plan was to... Fish the atomic waste out of the river, but Superman uh, screwed that plan up for them. So now Lois and Clark are t- being tied up in front of a furnace. Please, tie me up in a different room. I, I, I can't stand to see a lady suffer. Too bad, sonny boy. Forgive me, Clark, but I can't help wishing Superman were here instead of you. So do I, Lois. So do I. Clark asks to be tied up in another room. He says he can't stand to see a lady suffer, but we know the truth. He wants to be... Tied up somewhere separate so he can change it to Superman. Well, he doesn't get his wish, but he's going to be uh, tied up on the other side of a barrier. It's almost like a steel wall that only extends into half of the furnace room. And Clark is going to be in a position right in front of the furnace where he Lois can't turn around and see him. So that works just as well as being in another room. And then Lois wishes Superman were here instead of them. And, you know, Clark does too, which is always amusing. And, you know, this episode uh, reminds me of the Superboy episode just a little bit where... Clark is finding it difficult to change because of the situation they're in. But he has an easier way out here, as Clark is going to pretend to faint and then change it to Superman. So, Superman gets the atomic waste, but some of it leaked out. Meanwhile, Superman flies the rest into space and into the sun, and that takes care of that. And now he has to return, and I like how when Superman flies the Earth, I like the way the background changes. The sky slowly transitions from space to the earthly sky. Very well done there, you know. I don't praise the animation on this show enough, but that was a nice looking shot. You know, Superman didn't move, but the background changed just enough to show him flying from space and back onto Earth. So Superman catches up to the helicopter and throws away the propeller so they can't escape. Literally just rips the propeller off the helicopter and chucks it away. Now, what's amusing about Clark's change in Superman is that for all I'm wondering about where Clark's clothes go when he changes, this time he kind of just left his clothes on the floor where he was uh, tied up. Now, Lois, in the meantime, just seems to think Clark passed out from the heat, and she's trying to wake him up, and I do like this ending. When the captain shows up to untie them, Lois leaves Clark to fill the captain in on what happened while she runs away to find a typewriter, so... Very nice. Pure Lois Lane right there, especially uh, Silver Age Lois Lane. She kind of runs away, leaves Clark in the lurch, and uh, gets the story. Well done, Lois. Then she asks if he always faints when he's scared, and apparently he says he just wants to avoid dull conversation. But you know what? I don't know if this had anything to do with being scared. You could buy that anybody would faint in that situation if they were as close to the fire and the heat as Clark was. If he were, You know, I'd probably pass out in front of all that heat. But 
Lois didn't appreciate the comment as she playfully throws the book at him, which Clark dodges with a smile. Now, that was another good episode, and one thing I wonder about, Superman said the acid had already begun its work and some of the atomic waste leaked into the river, into the water. Were there any uh, adverse effects there, or maybe too little escape to do any damage? We will really, we will never know because that's not addressed in this episode, and I'm 99% sure it won't be addressed in any other episode of this series. I'd say 100% sure, but... I want to leave a 1% margin for error. So, next time, I'm going to cover the next four Superman episodes, The Wisp of Wickedness, Superman Meets His Match, Night of the Octopod and Brainiac's Bubbles, and the Superboy segments, The Chameleon Creature and The Great Space Race. Now, if you want to send in some feedback, you uh, feel free to do so. Feedback is always welcome. You can send it in to manofscreen at gmail.com. If you want to join the conversation over at the Facebook group, you can just put the Man of Screen podcast into your search feed and the show should come up. Also find the show on Twitter at Man of Screencast. And please, feel free to leave me an iTunes review. That'll help others find the show. So, till next time, folks. Thanks for listening. Have a good one. Bye. The Man of Screen Podcast is produced by Mike Zemo. And all opinions expressed on the show are those of Mike Zemo and his guests and no one else. All music and sound clips used on the show are for review purposes only, and no copyright infringement is intended. All music and sound clips are copyright their original copyright owners. The Man of Screen is a member of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network and can be found at www.twotruefreaks.com. If you shop at Amazon.com, please consider using the link at twotruefreaks.com to shop there. If you do, the Two True Freaks get a little cut of what you buy and it doesn't cost you anything extra so you can shop as usual and help out the two true freaks at the same time emails of this show can be sent to manofscreen at gmail.com and you can also leave the show review on itunes that will help others find the show thank you for listening to the man of screen podcast